Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History YouTube channel. And continuing with our theme of looking at the political workings of the Nazi state, um, I'm going to look today about this idea of uh, polycratic uh, centres of power within the Nazi regime. So previously, um, what we'd seen was that Nazism, like a kind of parasite, if you will, in, in, in sort of inserts itself into a reasonably well-functioning, or previously reasonably well-functioning uh, and legalistic system of governance. Nazism is inherently uh, kind of counter-legalistic or um, anti-legalistic. Uh, it views uh, the, the concept of the rule of law as really something of an irrelevance, useful sometimes if it can get you what you want, but um, secondary uh, or you know, a distant second to the primacy of racial thinking and a, a racial revolution that Nazism was trying to bring about. And the result of this insertion of this kind of foreign culture into uh, an otherwise well-ordered system uh, means that you have all sorts of kind of chaotic outcomes. Um, a, two systems have to coexist uh, uh, together. The first is what we would describe as a normal state, or some historians call it the, the normative state, which is the normal system that previously existed of uh, President, Reich Chancellor, Cabinet, um, Reichstag, and uh, bureaucracy, uh, police, courts, uh, the, the Landtag, and, and, and all that um, that had been established in 1918. And then this new force of you know, what you could call just Führer power, um, a, which some historians call the prerogative state, uh, is inserted into that. Something that um, is, ha has its source of legitimacy from the person of the Führer of, of Hitler himself, as opposed to the weakened and uh, now eviscerated Weimar Constitution. And this has its uh, coup de grace in 1934 when Hitler is uh, makes himself Fuhrer and the armed forces agree a personal oath of loyalty to Hitler, not to Germany, 
not to the Republic, to Hitler himself. And as a result, Hitler and his own personal power uh, incorporate the, uh, the, the levers of real power in the state, which is the use of military force. The state and the legal system were subordinate to Hitler and subordinate to Hitler throughout 1933, gradually. But the reality was that in many ways they were allowed to continue functioning as they had before. Partly that Hitler, being of quite an indolent and lazy character, probably was disinclined to interfere with things which would take up time and effort. Also, the, the fact remains that even in a fascist Nazi dictatorship, the day-to-day functioning of, of life has to go on. The uh, issuing of permits for housing, the um, design of the law to prosecute everyone from shoplifters to uh, murderers. And contrary to uh, the popular view of uh, Nazism, Throughout the Nazi era, some checks and balances, really up until the war, checks and balances continued to exist, particularly when it came to the workings of the Nazi camp system. Um, if you read um, KL, uh, um, the brilliant, brilliant history of the Nazi camps by Nicholas Waschmann, he makes the point that there were several investigations of SS, uh, SA men at camps uh, across Germany where uh, prisoners were murdered or prisoners were brutally treated and that there were still, in 1933 and 1934, judges who were willing to take the SA to task and the Nazi state did very little about this. They certainly didn't tell the judges what they could and couldn't do. Uh, on the general pecking order, a um, ham-fisted SA man who had murdered uh, an inmate was lower down than a judge who wished to investigate this. And the Nazi uh, state, not um, particularly well established by the end of 1933, um, that it was still going through a process of uh, consolidation of its power, was unwilling to cause itself unnecessary hassle and unnecessary bad publicity uh, by taking on the judiciary. There was a much more important subversion of the judiciary, which was the building of a parallel system of justice in the guise of people's courts and uh, extrajudicial detention in concentration camps. So the uh, a head-on fight with the judges wasn't necessary, and perhaps if they wanted to investigate and arrest um, an SA man from time to time, that was all to the good, and it kind of served the SA man in question right uh, for getting caught in the first place. So yes, laws uh, were passed and administrated and regulations and bureaucratic uh, life continued in Germany and they were implemented um, in much the same way as they had been done, a great many of them, before 1933. When we look at the history of Nazi Germany and look at things like the Nuremberg Laws, these leap out at us as being singularly important and of course they are, but they existed alongside a host of other more mundane uh, regulations 
that predated Nazism and really were considered trivial in the eyes of Hitler and didn't need to be uh, altered per se. This um, normality, uh, what cultural theorists call the everyday, would be periodically and with greater frequency punctured by what we can call Fuhrer power, the arbitrary decision-making of Hitler um, that was inherently anti-bureaucratic and, of course, generally rather arbitrary. Hitler tended to make policy up on the hoof, uh, as the Nuremberg laws show, and Hitler believed that uh, he was there really to challenge established elites within uh, the bureaucracy, the judiciary and uh, the uh, professional world. And that in doing so, he would shake up the kind of uh, complacency and the control that they had over the um, levers of power in German life. And this would obviously present there be, present, um, prevent there from being challenges to Hitler in the future if particular power structures were subverted. But it also meant that German society was far more malleable, uh, in Hitler's eyes, to be reshaped and refashioned. The thing about civil services the world over is that they are inherently, uh, they're, they're there inherently to inhibit radicalism. Uh, the civil servants um, of Great Britain, Germany, America, wherever, um, see gradualism and continuity as being far more important than the uh, erratic whims of one particular leader. And this is antithetical to Nazism. Nazism needs dynamism, radicalism, rapid, fast and extreme change in order for it to be what it is. So when Hitler's edicts were um, announced um, and the overriding uh, importance of these political priorities would um, push through uh, previous or pre-existing structures of law. Now a classic example of that would be the creation of people's courts, as I mentioned, and the uh, creation of protective custody, the principle of protective custody, which meant that the Gestapo could intimidate and force somebody into signing their rights away if they were also found uh, innocent by a German court, they could be rearrested when they left that court and consigned into protective custody and put in a concentration camp. This was a direct result of Hitler's prerogative power and it was something that in fact predated the Enabling Act. Now the thing that has more of a consequence in this um, battle for control over government between the invasive force of Nazi ideology and the uh, older uh, bureaucratic norms was the gradual seepage of uh, Nazism into uh, different spheres of everyday life. Uh, so the law, which is always open for interpretation, begins to be interpreted through the filter of Nazi thinking. Not only are there, is it that new laws are passed via the Enabling Act, um, or rubber stamped, should I say, but existing laws are reinterpreted by Nazified judges and other Nazified uh, authorities. Non-state Nazi party organisations began to claim more and more of the responsibilities of the supposedly uh, non-politicised state 
and also the organs of local government. And this is another example of the development of Führer power. This, the um, organs of the party, of which Hitler is the head of, which are directly uh, responsible to the party and to Hitler, and believe that they are there not to carry out the workings of the state, but to carry out the workings of the Führer. These organs, uh, these organisations, slowly start to engulf um, through uh, the overlapping of duties between senior Nazis and um, ministerial posts, these, they begin to uh, engulf and um, co-opt and annex parts of the workings of the state. And so gradually, over time, the boundary between state and party becomes very blurred, very confused, and deliberately so. Most modern historians of Nazi Germany, now the examples such as Ian Kershaw or Richard J. Evans or Lawrence Rees um, put forward a, 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 this is a kind of a, almost a new orthodoxy really, that the Nazi state thrived on chaos, ran on chaos, um, there was a, a veneer of order but behind the scenes all sorts of confused and complicated infighting uh, and uh, du duplication of roles and all sorts of things like that. And I believe that Nazism required chaos. Um, Nazism uh, engendered chaos and exists within uh, this uh, institutional chaos. And it helped Nazism to operate. It helped Nazism really to, to thrive and develop and um, to uh, slowly kind of whittle away the power of uh, the uh, normative state. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hitler, of course, did not believe in a depoliticized state and did not believe that the state should, ha should have any kind of political neutrality. The state, as he was concerned, was there as a vehicle for uh, racial change, for racial struggle, and that's what its purpose was. And if it didn't fulfil that purpose, or aspects of it didn't fulfil that purpose, then it was no good and not necessary. Noakes and Pridham say, 
In place of the old image fostered by Nazi propaganda of the regime as a coldly calculating, ruthlessly efficient machine, research over the past 20 years has revealed the, Na the Third Reich to have been a labyrinthine structure of overlapping competencies, institutional confusion and chaos of personal rivalries. The fields of propaganda and cultural policy, for example, saw permanent internecine warfare between Goebbels as Reich Minister of Propaganda, Rosenberg as agent for the supervision of the Nazi Weltenstaun, Otto Dietrich as Nazi press chief, and Bernhard Rust as Reich Minister of Education, and Philipp Buhler as head of censorship, um, uh, as head of a censorship office, among others. So that gives you a flavour of how poorly organised Nazism actually was. And again, as I, I argue, this is entirely by design. The um, interpretations that Hitler historians come up with is that Hitler rather liked having uh, ministers squabble over uh, areas of um, prestige and uh, control and policy making, things that made them look important. And also the uh, creation of new posts, new ministries that duplicated each other's work uh, were an attempt to try to infiltrate the workings of the normative state. And another example, if you look at the workings of German foreign policy, Hitler's foreign minister, Konstantin von Neurath, uh, faced a difficult challenge from Hitler's foreign policy advisor and then ambassador to Great Britain, and then finally foreign minister after he places, replaces von Neurath, uh, Joachim von Ribbentrop. Ribbentrop was a champagne salesman and had no knowledge of foreign policy, diplomacy, uh, diplomatic etiquette or convention. He didn't know what one did when one met a fellow ambassador or how one um, spoke diplomatically or, you know, the, the art really of diplomacy. Hitler said of Ribbentrop, this is the man who can tell me, this is the only man who can tell me anything about what happens outside Germany's borders. Because Hitler was highly ignorant, uh, not particularly cosmopolitan or well-travelled at all. Um, he'd been from uh, to France in the war, and that was about that. Um, and he looked to Ribbentrop, he saw Ribbentrop as this um, gauche um, international figure who had been uh, across Europe. Well, Ribbentrop had been to Belgium and Great Britain as a champagne salesman and made friends with Lord Londonderry, um, the, uh, the peer. But his actual knowledge of the workings of Great Britain is uh, comes straight from his imagination. Um, he assumed that there were 200 aristocratic families in Britain and that those aristocratic families would be the ones that would decide British policy. Um, and the reality is it was Parliament and the civil service that do these things. Ribbentrop, therefore, was able to tell Hitler all sorts of fanciful and nonsensical tales. Hitler believed in their entirety because he was impressed with Ribbentrop and Hitler was somebody who um, believed that his instincts were right and if he went on instinct and was able to look a man in the eye then he could get the measure of that fellow. The reward that Ribbentrop has is to establish his own foreign policy um, think tank, his own foreign policy organisation, Bureau Ribbentrop, which sits on the Wilhelmstrasse directly across the road from the um, German foreign ministry. Ribbentrop was able to go around the world um, because he had 
the backing of the Führer because he was an agent of Führer power and he was able to go around the world and cancel out the state German foreign policy. An example where that happened would be when Ribbentrop went to Japan. Von Neurath had been forging a deal with China. There had been German military advisers from the Weimar and the Nazi era go to China and help Chiang Kai-shek's nationalist government. This, of course, was not an act of charity, and the interest that was generated by the possibility of influence in China by Germany was uh, for raw materials and the uh, vast raw materials that China has. Germany was resource poor, and especially during the period of rearmament, uh, this resource poverty was uh, something that created all manner of acute economic um, crises and bottlenecks within the German economy. So finding a country who could, in return for uh, military help and uh, military training and expertise, uh, supply Germany with raw materials was extremely important. The uh, interest that uh, Ribbentrop took in Japan, who uh, from 1932 uh, onwards had uh, invaded Manchuria and had designs on the rest of China, was at direct odds with this policy. Ribbentrop, however, was not thinking in economic terms or strategic terms, but in far more romantic and impulsive um, ways of of reasoning. He imagined that the, the martial and warrior-like uh, Japanese culture would be a perfect match in the East to German militarism in the West, and these two powers would at one point see eye to eye and divide the world between them. This uh, arguably becomes close to happening during the Second World War, but one of the reasons why it fails to happen is because both countries run out of resources, which was arguably um, the problem that uh, Neurath had foreseen in the first place. However, Neurath is progressively sidelined and Ribbentrop favoured more and more by Hitler. And because we transition towards this Fuhrer state, those who are favoured by Hitler go far and those who are seen as established centres of power um, who are not within the uh, Hitler inner circle, do not. Ribbentrop, of course, falls out of favour later on following his failures uh, as a, a uh, foreign, as an ambassador and then later a foreign minister, as these um, shortcomings come to light. The period of the Third Reich, the 12 years in which it existed, institutionally and organisationally, is an aberration. German bureaucracy throughout the um, 19th and the rest of the 20th century is a, a model of bureaucratic efficiency. And Nazism, despite the uh, image, the monolithic um, image that we are presented with, was anything but orderly. Not only was there this endless confrontation and wresting of power from the normative to the prerogative uh, systems. Uh, but also there are different centres of power, uh, such as obviously the army, 
and in particular the general staff. And as we look at World War II um, through various podcasts that are uh, upcoming, we'll look at how Hitler gradually eroded the power of the, the general staff and came to see them as the enemy. There were the interests of German business and the German business community um, collaborated, cooperated and tried to exact, sort of extract concessions from the regime and the development of the, the SS and the various different offices of, um, the, of Hitler himself, the uh, deputy uh, Führer's office, the party chancellery and the party cadre organisation. And all these different um, power groups competed with one another and particularly competed for um, access to Hitler because of the development of the Führer state. Hitler becomes the supreme font of decision-making, law-making uh, and uh, favour. Um, he becomes essentially um, the figure of a medieval king inserting himself into a modern governmental system and in that manner he holds court he has a inner circle of favorites he spends little time in berlin spends much of his time at berchtesgaden and the uh, favored the who are invited to visit him really have to come as one would have done to a medieval monarch and pay fealty and uh, he allow him to uh, hold court as the, the figure he imagined himself to be. Okay, right, well we've gone a little bit too long here on the polycratic state that emerged from 1933 onwards, but we'll be returning to this topic uh, over the next few weeks. Um, and it's good to look in depth at the kind of the mechanics of the Nazi state instead of focusing simply on the um, media image of Nazism, which can often be wildly misleading. Anyway, um, I hope you uh, enjoyed this and you find it useful. Do give us a good write-up on iTunes if you can, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.